Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. G-A-L-D-E-M. G-A-L-D-E-M. This song is good. Welcome to a brand new season of Growing Up with Galdem. Inspired by our book, I Will Not Be Erased, our stories about growing up as people of colour. My name is Nyala Arboyne, and I'm the life editor at Galdem. And I'm Natty Kasimvala, former editor and longtime contributor at Galdem. Galdem is an award-winning media company committed to sharing the perspectives of people of colour from marginalised genders. Each week, we invite a guest to respond to old diary entries, letters or text messages from their younger selves. The point is to nurture important discussions about growing up. You can find Growing Up With Galdem on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Born and raised in Charnwood, Leicestershire, Mahalia grew up immersed in music. From the age of 14, she was passionate about showcasing grassroots talent, putting on her own DIY nights in Leicester, and performing alongside friends while she built her local fan base. Nine years on, and Mahalia has developed into a Grammy, Brit, and Ivan Novello-nominated artist selling out tours across the globe with several EPs and two albums under her belt, with plenty more to come. Her latest single, Whatever Simon Says, is out now. 
It is good to have you on the show today with us, Mahalia. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's so, so good to be here. And we've been trying to do this for a little while now. So I'm happy that we could make it work today. I'm good. I'm just in my flat, been doing some work. So this is actually quite a nice little break just to sit and have a chat. Good. And it feels wrong to not ask you, how is your heart? (laughs) My heart. I think my heart's good. I think I'm for once not, I'm not in terrible situation or a terrible part of my life. So my heart is good. Feeling hopeful and definitely feeling very loved and loving right now, which is good. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Can't relate. No. <laughs> That's such a good answer. I think one of our faves of the tracks that you've been dropping at the moment and your new EP is definitely Whatever Simon Says. Oh, good. It's so funny and I know the story behind it's really great as well. Could you tell us a little bit about what inspired it and why you felt compelled to write that song now? I was in the studio with my like one of my main producers. His name's J.D. Reed. My boyfriend and co-writer his name is Ben Hart or his artist name is Hart and we I don't even know how we got there I think like whatever Simon says really kind of talks about a lot of the situations that I found myself in before and I suppose you know it's quite difficult sometimes because I do work with a lot of guys and sometimes I want to get out these scenarios or situations that they may not relate to but actually this was a really it was really cool to kind of get their perspective and hear what they thought and like whatever Simon says came from I think from quite I think if I had to pin it on one relationship it was a relationship when I was about 20 and it was a relationship that I stayed in for quite a while I mean when I say a while I I mean like over a year which for me is a while and I was in it and I was kind of thinking the whole time that this person I was with was like building me up, basically. You know, like he would say things like, oh, you know, don't wear wigs, don't wear weaves, wear your hair natural, it's better natural, don't wear makeup, you look better when you've got no makeup on, your body looks better if you wear this. And it was like, it was this kind of warped control that I wasn't really seeing at first. I think like, we look at control in different ways. I always thought that a controlling man or person was somebody who was quite aggressive with it and was, you know, saying things like, you can't wear that skirt and you're wearing too much makeup and whatever and whatever. But this was actually, this form of control came in some type of warped love. And it really confused me as a young woman. And he was quite a lot older than me. And I think it was my first kind of serious relationship. So I didn't recognise the red flags, I would say. And that's kind of what the song's about, you know, like the song's about saying, I'm not your doll and I'm not your thing that you can chip away at and change. And I think the realisation at the end of that relationship was me going, what am I going to do? Now that I've realised it, almost like now that I've got the ick and I can see what you're doing, whatever am I going to do now? And what am I going to do with you now? And it's funny because that relationship, I think, actually messed me up for a really long time. Like when I went into, I started therapy not long after and 
my whole kind of issue, I suppose, my internal issue was that for years after I associated love with control. So I thought that somebody being like that and, you know, being kind of over the top and controlling meant that they loved me more. That's taken me a good four years to kind of get out of my system and try and like rewire my brain. But that's where whatever Simon says came from. It's like love bombing where yeah. it feels like a compliment and it feels like something <laughs> nice and affirming, but really it's really kind of backhanded. It's and super backhanded. Yeah. Sometimes you don't realise, you know, how much you're putting in. I think I didn't realise that there's a part in the song, it's in the bridge where I start talking about, you know, all the things that I've lost in, from being in this relationship. I say, how did I pay to love you? pennies on pennies as in money and then pounds on pounds because I was I was so unhappy I was gaining weight I was eating a lot I was spending money on this person I was kind of giving and giving and giving and then letting go of myself and yeah I really love the message and whatever Simon says and I was it was the one song that I didn't know how people would take it and I didn't know if musically they would love it as much as my other stuff but it seems like it's responding really well which is good yeah, we love it. So how did you find your voice and style and, you know, stand so confidently in both? Is it kind of like a result of your upbringing or maybe larger societal changes, particularly considering the journey and experiences of Black artists from previous generations? I think it took me a while to to find my voice and my sound. I think, I think, Definitely growing up in a small town kind of weirdly shaped me. I think I never saw it when I was younger because I was, well, in school I was a minority. That was me and this one other girl. I won't say her name, but this one other girl. And we were the two mixed girls in the school. And I think it was like, because of that, I felt quite different anyway, physically. So creating music, was something that nobody else did. And for me, it felt like my superpower. It felt like the one thing that I was really good at. No one could call me any names or say any of the nasty stuff that they were already saying about my skin and my hair. So I think that was culturally, I think where I grew up really massively shaped who I was. And it meant that when it came to my confidence, I wasn't the epitome of beauty where I grew up. And so the confidence that I found to kind of be able to write songs and perform and feel good about myself really came from the household and how I looked at myself. And I, and I have to put a lot of that down to my parents and also down to, you know, the artists that they introduced me to when I was a kid. I remember when I was in year eight, so I would have been like 11 or 12, I think. I remember my mum giving me the India Irie Acoustic Soul album and me hearing I Am Not My Hair for the first time. A rite of passage, sorry. India yeah. Irie. <laughs> like the rite of passage <laughs> a total rite of passage I completely agree and like I remember hearing that and probably at that age not even understanding what all of those hairstyles were but singing along and dancing along and it's actually lovely because then when I got older I knew what everything was and I thought god yeah like now I get it but there were artists that my parents introduced to me like India Irie and like I definitely got into Lauren Hill and Erica as I got older, but India was huge for me. Corinne Bailey Ray was also huge for me. She was another mixed woman from the North who played a guitar and sang. So I, I saw a lot of myself in her. And I think 
I forget that at that time when I was coming up, I was basically kind of in the folk acoustic soul world. And at that point, there weren't that many black female artists in that space. So I remember when I was a kid, I think it would have been people like Nina Nesbitt and Lucy Rose and Gabrielle Aplin. It was that kind of white English roses that were kind of in that world. So Corinne Bailey Ray was massive for me. And artists like that, that I could look at and see myself. And I think that's how I found my voice. I was having this conversation recently with an artist who I love at the minute. Her name is Kat Burns. And we were chatting about that. And I was saying how lovely it is that there's a space for her to come up and be so authentically herself and sing in her British accent and do that. And, you know, there's other people like Rachel Chinariri who's doing the same thing, who's so in that folk space, that space that I grew up loving. Like when I was growing up, Bon Iver was was who I wanted to be like. I wanted to make music that, you know, was just guitar and vocal and just made you feel things. But at that point, there weren't that many black female British artists doing that. I think it's such an interesting point you raised about like growing up in those kind of majority white areas and having to like sift and find yourself in other places and like almost like does like you say free you in a sense because you're like oh I'm so far outside of (laughs) outside of these boundaries that I'm just gonna do my own thing and just find it for myself yeah like I might as well go further yeah yeah like let me just mind my business (laughs) and I, I think something else that you've talked about and been like a really great like conversation sparker I guess about is is kind of the UK in music industry and the landscape for like young black British women and specifically within R&B but also I think like people like Rachel and Kat also come into that conversation when it comes to how they're like genreed and how they're kind of placed in the scenes. I wanted to hear just a bit more about your perspective on where you think the UK music scene is at today, your position within it and if you think it's changing or getting better. Huge question, but love that question. I think, I mean, even just what I was just talking about, I think it's changed massively. I think the fact that we can see those girls coming up and also being incredibly successful, like for me, being able to watch them, I know them both personally now, but like just being able to watch them and listen to them and kind of make music that I don't, I don't know if the UK music industry was going to let black women make 10 years ago. It's really, really special for me to watch it. I'm also probably a little bit jealous, not jealous in a, in a toxic way, but just kind of like, wow, God, I really feel like a veteran. Like, God, I wish that that was, (laughs) I wish that that was there back in my day. day. (laughs) (laughs) The thing is, is that social media, it's a bittersweet thing. It's a tool that has many negative and quite bitter sides to it. But what I love is that consumers are taking over. You know, consumers are saying, this is who I like, this is who I want to listen to. And the UK music industry is having to kind of just go with that. And that's what I'm loving is that I think for so long, you know, the industry, whether that be radio or labels or PR or whoever, they kind of took over and it was, what they said and what they played, that's what everybody listened to and that's what made it and that's what got big. Now, that doesn't happen. I mean, it does sometimes. And, you know, people talk about industry plants and people get signed and and then they have all that money and power behind them. But really, the fact that Rachel or Kat, just two examples, can sing a song in a video and put it on TikTok and it blow in the way it did, I... 
the music industry can't ignore that because consumers and the world are saying, this is what is amazing. So no matter what you feed me, this is what I want to see. And I love that. I think the space is changing. I think it's probably always changing. It's definitely ever evolving. I'm just excited, to be honest. I feel very privileged to be a part of it. I sometimes get scared that I'm going to get left behind, but I think every artist does. I think as it moves and it changes, I think we're all trying to kind of stick to our artistry and our authenticity, but move as well. And yeah, it's scary being an artist, I think. And it's so fluid at the moment that it's just like the things that you knew that you would have to do 10 years ago or five years ago even to like launch an album are completely different to the things that you might have to do today. But I think you're so right. It's definitely like it's become so much more democratic. Even thinking about people like Kat is a really great example. Someone like Pink Pantherist, you know, who can make music that reacts and then she reveals that she's a young mixed race black woman and everyone's like, oh shit, I thought you were, <laughs> I thought you were white. But you make this garage and D&B sampling music and it's amazing. And like, it's n- like nothing else that's on the radio, but yeah, one of the biggest new artists. So yeah, it's definitely an exciting time. It is. It is an exciting time for music and just for us as black women. I think we're just kind of allowed to, I think we can just do whatever we want to do next. And I love that. You know, it's interesting like looking at somebody like Pink Pantherus because she just hid her face. She just hid her face and made her music and put it out. Part of me feels like it's sad because she has to hide to kind of bring that music out and say, listen to this, this is great, regardless of what I look like. But also there's something kind of sexy about the mystery in it. And the fact that then when, you know, when we find out what she looks like, we all kind of go, oh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Someone said her being black was one of the biggest W's of 2021. <laughs> <laughs> I literally love when a musician decides to be like hidden or mysterious. I just remember like me at seven with gorillas yes, being a cartoon yes. band. How amazing is that? <laughs> you always keep your ear to the ground for new artists and have facilitated spaces for them to emerge. Who were some of the people that have helped you develop and in what ways did they do this that's a good question I think you know it's funny I actually think like everyone that I kind of listen to massively inspires me I don't even think I really ever realized that until I started writing this second album and like how much new artists older artists really still stay with me like Angie Stone is still to this day someone who can like reach my soul and it's crazy because it's like you know her album I think it's called Mahogany Soul my mum played to me in the car when I was like five that album now still rings and still inspires me and still makes me like I'll go in the studio and like somebody will play something and it will like remind me of one tune from that Angie Stone record I mean, I love the whole album, but there's two songs. And if I could ever ask Angie Stone to sing a song at my wedding, it would be Makings of You. It's a beautiful song. And then Pissed Off just kills me. There's something about the looking alike through the glass that you shatter. Bullshit like love doesn't matter anymore. Baby, what's up? Digging you so TikTok. That's my favourite album to clean to because I just feel like, oh, yeah, timeless. I think I'm being inspired all the time. I think, you know, sometimes I get really excited by new music too. 
when I first heard Pink Panther, I remember thinking I would love to make a tune like that and like feel that fun whilst I'm singing and writing and like dancing around. But I'm also like massively, massively inspired by the people that I work with. Like, I think a lot of growth happens in the studio and you have to create a really safe space to be able to write from a personal perspective and also not feel scared to move to different places musically and sonically. So as a producer, there's actually three guys that I've been working with kind of solidly since last summer. And we've been writing, we've written a load of songs together. And I would say all the songs that we've made are my favourites that I've made. And I've made a lot in the past year, but with those guys in particular, they're my favourites. And it's JD Reed who produced Whatever Simon Says. It's this lovely guy who's an artist and musician. He plays the guitar. His name's Max Pope. And then a songwriter and my boyfriend, Ben Hart. And it's funny because when we first met, I remember thinking, I don't know if this is going to work. Obviously, my boyfriend is my boyfriend, so that's fine. And I know that we work well together. But bringing new people into that space at first felt really scary, right? And we purposefully didn't tell anybody that we were together because we didn't want anyone to think that, you know, it was awkward because people go awkward around couples. I do, so I kind of get it. But it was amazing. Like some of the music that we've been making, I'm so excited for people to hear. We've got a song coming out next week. I think you just, I think you grow when people allow you to grow. And I think they are my, they feel like my roots and they feel like I can be completely myself when I'm in the room with them. I think that's also like a much older way of working. I think artists back in the day used to go into the studio with one producer and a couple of writers and they would make music and you would just stay there. And the way that I feel about these boys, that's kind of how I enjoy working. Like I love just sitting with them and I don't need anybody else. (laughs) I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. A little bit of context, I suppose, for this is when I first moved to London, I was massively struggling with a lot of things. I think the main thing on the menu was money. I had no money. I didn't have many friends. And I stupidly kind of, I was 18 and I started dating this guy. Anyway, he ghosted me and I had never been ghosted in my life. (laughs) Never want to be ghosted ever again. Um, I've never experienced rejection and hurt in that way before. And obviously I was, I was a kid and I was, at that time, I was living on this girl's sofa. This girl who is now my my absolute best friend in the whole world. But at that time, she was basically a stranger. And because I had no money and I wanted to be in London and be, you know, getting my name out there, she said, she was a friend of a friend and she said, you can come stay on my sofa. Long story short, I bought this book. I bought it for like two quid from Paper Chase because I wanted to write my music in it. And there was this one day that I was sat on the sofa It must have been about two in the morning. I was trying to get to sleep, but I had a lyric idea in my head and I wrote these lyrics down. Some of you listening might have heard this song before, but it says, now that I am sober, I take back what I said. I'm sitting with this love hangover and boy, it's hurting my head. It's the middle of October and we just came to an end. I'm just sorry that there ain't no time left because you and I were over, me and you were done. When I wanted to be closer, you just wanted to run. Though I know it's no one's fault, if I've learned anything at all, with us, no matter how I add it up, one plus one is none. God, when you read it, it sounds so much sadder. <laughs> Put a little beat on it and all of a sudden it's a banger. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. Just a little bit of writing. And then because obviously for this, to like come chat to you girls, I had to call her and say, I don't suppose you've still got that book. And she said, yeah, it's under the kitchen cupboard. So she took it out. And it, I mean, when I bought it, it was fluffy and pink. Now it literally looks like grey and old and it's all ripped. But yeah, there's loads of lyrics in there from when I was 18 and like running around London. That's like important archival stuff right there. We love a good breakup song. And of course you were the queen. Of breakup songs reading these lyrics it's almost like you're trying to make sense of like the why is that kind of a fair assumption yes absolutely it was confusing I think I think rejection is a confusing subject it, it's like it's a constant question of why and it's a constant kind of internal understanding of like what did I do and 
why did you leave? And was it something I said? Or, you know, am I not good enough, I suppose? And I've only really experienced that kind of rejection twice. I think that was the first time and I was really young. So I was quite naive to actually how painful it it would feel. When Sober came out of that, I think it was totally about me me kind of waking up and like not being naive anymore and like trying to understand it. And then I've only ever really experienced it once after that, which was actually not even that long ago. It was about, oh God, actually it was, God, it was, it was about two years ago. God, it really feels like a a couple of months ago. And that was before I met my current guy. And that, that rejection, I think was the worst I'd ever felt. I think rejection is strange anyway when it comes in any form, you know, like career wise or in a relationship or through friendship. So I think it's a hard thing for us to understand. And it definitely brings out a lot of questions. I was going to ask as well, just a bit more about, I guess, this, this book. And it's so mad to me that like, you wrote that in one go, if that makes sense, you know, like, that is sober. The song was just like this thing that kind of came out of you. Yeah. Um, What was it kind of like to revisit that time in your life through that book and kind of look through where you were at at the time of writing it and what you were kind of going through emotionally and mentally? (sighs) Definitely strange. I don't get that emotional anymore because I think I'm so far out of it and I can really, um, I can see my life in such a different way now. You know, I kind of have my, I like live in my flat on my own, which is so weird. And like, I remember when I first moved into a place on my own, which was about two years ago. And I I remember thinking, God, now I can have people stay on my sofa, which is so mad. That time was so turbulent. It was so turbulent because it just, I was just, I was, I was kind of clawing at, at, at this dream that I had and I didn't know how to get it. And I talk to a lot of young artists now and I like currently a part of this mentoring scheme with Doc Martens and I've just started this new event called Mahalia Presents. And I'm like, I don't want anyone to feel that because I remember that feeling like it was yesterday. I've definitely been able to disconnect. And I think as you see success, it's easier to kind of release that. But I was, I was angry I was angry because I felt like the industry was potentially ignoring me. And I felt like, you know, because I was this girl, not from London, I was from Leicester. I didn't have the links. I wasn't part of a clique. I'm still not really part of a clique. I didn't have the, I wasn't in the club. And so I would watch other artists who were in the club and kind of were in the cliques doing better. And I remember, I think at that time I was quite, I think I was quite cynical. (laughs) I think if you have a dream and it, and you know that you could grab it, but it still feels so far away, it's just a really difficult thing to understand. And it's it probably sits in that same world as rejection, to be honest. And I was definitely stressed. I was more stressed then than I am now. <laughs> and I was worried. I think I was worried that I was going to have to go back to Leicester and let all of the idiots in school who laughed when I said I was going to go and be an artist, let them know that I didn't make it. Uh, picturing that was worse than anything. And it's not even that I'm that I'm that proud of a person, but I just didn't want to 
I didn't want to let it go. And I came really close about seven or eight times to just kind of calling it quits. And it was, it was just before I wrote Sober that I basically had like had the serious chat with my mum. I don't think this is for me. You know, I've given up so much of my childhood to like come to London and do sessions and do whatnot. And I think I just thought people didn't really like me or what I had to say. And so Sober was a huge turning point and that book and everything that kind of sits in it. And even the fact that it's still in my friend's flat, like I'm not going to take that back. I think it, I think that's where it lives. I think that's its home. That's, that was where it was written. And me and her are like, listen, she's my best friend. She's got, she's got pictures of me all over the house and she's the proudest friend as well. And yeah, it was a strange time. Yeah. And I guess like something that we haven't touched on yet is that kind of like your very interesting start into the industry, which obviously came at such a young age and probably, you know, like when you say you were kind of cynical already at the age of 18, which is kind of when most people would be starting to venture into those kinds of industries, you know, but you were signed at such a young age. Do you feel like that had a role to play in how much like kind of, I guess, pressure you felt or placed on yourself to kind of succeed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because obviously by that point, people had known about me for a while. I think when I first came out at 13, there was obviously like a little, because I got signed, there was a little bit of a buzz. Um, and people knew that I was this young kid from Leicester. And I I did some like bigger things right in the beginning. I remember I, I supported Emily Sunday on her tour. I supported Ed Sheeran on his tour. What that was, was this like entrance into this huge world and these stages. And then it kind of died down and I went back to school. And then that's really hard to fathom and like understand, you know, one night, I remember I didn't tell any of the school kids that I, so this was when I started high school and my high school, this when I was 14, so GCSE year, I started at a new school in Birmingham. So I moved to go to a performing arts school. I didn't tell anybody that I was a singer, so I enrolled as an actor. And then it was like in the first few months, I was supporting Ed on his tour. And this was like, we didn't, at that point, we weren't like posting on Instagram and stuff. It wasn't like that. But I supported him on his tour and we played the Birmingham Ballroom. And I would say half of my year were there. Doing up Hannah Montana. <laughs> I'm dead that you went incognito. Literally, literally. And I remember I had this friend called Zach Parkin. He was a dancer. And I remember him going, May, is that May? And I was like, hey. <laughs> and then I obviously came on to sing Ed's song Gold Rush with him. And I went into school the next day and my cover was blown and like... And even that was a pressure because then now I'm in this performing arts school where everybody's really competitive and I, everybody thinks I'm famous. And I totally wasn't. And there were rumours going around and people were making up rumours that I like paid to get signed and I wasn't actually signed. I was a liar. But it's because 14 to 18, nothing was really going on. So people knew that I sang, but they thought I was lying. Which was hard, actually, to like... It's pressure, right? Because you have the thing that they want. And so they're going to figure out ways to yeah. invalidate it and like yes. watch you with like, with the evil eye. <laughs> yeah, it was that. It was that. And it's funny. I have like three friends from that school and they were all dancers and we all studied dance together. So nobody that was on the music, you know, 
they called them pathways when I was in school, but nobody on the music pathway was friends with me. And we know what that is. So yeah. that says something. Someone needs to just like write a film about your life. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. So I guess when you're writing about these complex emotions and feelings, how are you able to like sum them up so beautifully? What's your process? Is there like a theory? Is it just inspiration? Oh, well, first of all, thank you. I don't know. I think I used to love poetry and I used to love how, like, I think when I was a kid, my mum used to read me a lot of Maya Angelou. So I think she had a way of making something kind of horrible sound quite pretty. And her poem, Still I Rise, is one of those ones for me that like, she kind of gives you these like contrasts all the way through. And there's one moment where she says, does it come as a surprise that I dance as if I have diamonds at the meeting of my thighs? I think I used to study words a lot and understand how to put things together to kind of make them poetic, but also catchy so that you would remember them. And my process changes. You know, sometimes I write really conversational. So I basically write as I speak. So the way that I would say it in real life is the way that I would sing it and the way that I would write it. Sometimes, you know, like I'll write with people, particularly Americans, and they'll say things like ain't or like gone, like it's gone be. And I'm like, I can't say that. Like, there's no way that I can say that because I would never, ever say that in real life. I might do it if it makes sense for the, like, speed of the lyric. But I sing as I speak. And I think that is also just, like, I think that's a huge part of my USP. I think because I'm from Leicester, I say things in a different way. And the way that me and my mates talk to each other, like, we all speak a little bit differently to how people talk down here in London. I think that's a huge part of my writing. But the process changes. It's different. Sometimes songs don't come out of me as easy as others. It's also a massive win writing with my boyfriend because he knows me and he knows what I say. So if he comes up with a lyric, usually it's exactly how I would have said it because we talk about this stuff a lot. So I think because we have that personal connection, a lot of what we write about is our pillow talk we like chat about something or like we talk about some friends that are being pagans and then the next day we write a song about it and we have already had the chat so we know what we want to say now it's just about turning it into something beautiful and universal that people can understand as well and relate to so I don't really know what the process is but I try really hard to make ugly things sound prettier Speaking of ugly things sounding prettier, I think the idea of like a love hangover is something that really stuck with me when I first heard Sober. And I thought it was such a great way of conceptualizing that kind of stretch afterwards. I wanted to hear a bit more about like what a love hangover looks like for you. And if you have any like kind of rituals or practices to kind of lift yourself out of them. A love hangover to me is as big or as small as the love was basically in a similar way to you go out and you have four glasses of wine and you might have a little headache or you go out and you have four glasses of wine, six tequila shots and a tequila soda lime. And then you have three days of headaches and vomiting and whatever. 
the love, depending on how big and intense the love was, I think that's how, when it comes to an end, that massively affects how big the hangover is. I have had one big love hangover and I would say it looks chaotic. I would say I am a very... I realised actually that when I'm quite sad, I'm, I'm actually quite erratic. So I'm not able to stay still for that long. I have to be on the move or be in a car, which is what I'm like when I'm hungover. I can't really stay still. I have to try and get it out of me. My love hangovers consist of a lot of tears, which is similar to my alcohol hangovers. <laughs> for me, it's like... You know, when you, I think the reason I described it as that is because when I drink and I have a really bad hangover, I feel kind of hollow the next day. Like I almost feel like there's nothing inside me. And if I put anything inside me, I'm going to vomit it up. That's what I felt like a love hangover was. The last time that I ever felt that, I felt empty for months. And it was about two or three months. And it was a really difficult time because I wasn't eating and I was crying and I was drastically losing weight and I was sad and I was trying to be on the move and go out and see people to kind of get over it but through it I just felt empty and I felt quite emotionless. I think that's kind of why I had that parallel because I felt like that's what that hollow feeling or I I only ever feel when I'm hungover from booze or heartbroken so true Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> that is the comparison yeah <laughs> lastly looking back at these lyrics now is there anything you do or write differently no I think exactly how I wrote it was probably exactly how I meant it at 18 I think if I was writing the song now and if the song never existed I might have written it so differently So I'm really happy that I got those words out at that time because particularly that song, Sober, that's the song that changed everything for me. And it's the song that, you know, not to be too cliche, but it's definitely the song that changed my life. So I feel like I wouldn't change it. And I'm glad I wrote it then because I don't think I could have written it in that way now. I think when you're a kid or kind of, you know, in your teens, you're not thinking so hard, you know? And also because at that time I didn't have a massive audience and I didn't have a huge pressure to kind of think about what people wanted to hear. I was just writing for feeling. Whereas now, you know, I'm kind of always tackling that idea of what people are gonna wanna hear, what are they gonna relate to, you know? so. A lot of me now as a kind of mid-20s, no, still early 20s young girl, I think I I miss a lot of that headspace from like when you're a teenager and when you're a kid and you're not really thinking about all that stuff. You're just trying to word vomit and get stuff out of you. And what advice would you give to that younger self who is on your friend, but at the time stranger's couch, kind of processing this rejection for the first time? I would actually say exactly how you're going through this is correct. One thing I would say about pain is that I think people always think that they can go around it or scoot through it or zigzag their way, you know, kind of dodging it. But each heartbreak that I've felt, and heartbreaks of all kind, not just in love, each heartbreak that I've felt, I've had to go straight through the tunnel. Because there is light at the end. 
it's just sometimes really, really difficult to see. And what would your younger self think about where you are today? I don't think she would know what to say. I played Brixton Academy in November and I cried on stage at the end because of that feeling and that that question of if I could have looked at myself five years ago and kind of gone, that's where I'm going to go. I just don't think I would have believed you. I think it felt so hopeless, to be honest, not to be too sad, but I think that's just, that's how it felt. And I I don't think she would know what to say, but I I think my younger self would be, I think she would say that she was proud. And I think she would say that she knew it anyway. You know, (laughs) I think she would definitely say, I told you so. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much, Mahalia. That was beautiful. Of course. Thank you, thank you. Oh, that was a breath of fresh air. <laughs> yeah, like, she's just like the sweetest person ever. Just feels so much better now. Yeah, it's not often you get to hear like a song everyone knows so well and like really find out the origins of mm. it and how she was feeling when it was written. That's like a beautiful insight. Yeah, she has like a music industry story that almost doesn't feel real it's almost surreal like signed at 13 like lived yeah (laughs) lived on like sofa surfing and then had this immense low that led to this song that broke her through and like changed her life you know like you say it's literally like the storyline of a film honestly and she's just like so humble and really like helping other musicians and yeah yeah I think what she kind of talked about in terms of the freedom that black women are finally starting to be granted in the music industry is like a really important point and and it's because of people like her who have helped to redefine what it is to be a young black British woman making music so I'm excited to see where she goes I think she's one of those artists that will just be growing and growing as as she continues to make music yeah she's gonna be around for the long haul this has been an II Studios production thank you so much for listening we really hope you enjoyed this episode you can sign up to become a member at gal-dem.com for access to exclusive discounts with our favourite brands and partners, early access to tickets for Galdem events, an advanced copy of our annual print issue, and so much more. Make sure you're following us on all major social media at galdemzine for the latest independent news and culture. Or visit our online website, which is gal-dem.com. Don't forget, if you love this episode of Growing Up With Galdem, be sure to subscribe, rate and leave a review. We'll catch you on the next episode. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultrasoft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.